It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Public Affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm your host, Carousel Baird. And I want to remind you, you are listening to A Public Affair on volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio, WORT, 89.9 FM, Madison. So for the past several, I want to say weeks, but that's not true. For the past several months, we have been talking about the election here Um You know, I really look forward to our Wednesday afternoons when it is election conversation. We've been talking with candidates. We've been talking with people on both sides of the political aisle about what matters. Last week, we talked about the filibuster and all of the issues that are really on the line. We've been talking about the abortion, the economy, all of those things. And last week, for a moment, we actually had Rachel Rodriguez on our show, which is going to tie back into our conversation today, because it was the first time where instead of just talking about the candidates and the issues, we acknowledge the other incredibly important topic to have, which is the process of voting and what is happening with our democracy system, lowercase d, uh, when we're talking about how to vote, access to the polls, and how we are treating our workers who have for years, for decades, been doing their sort of government duty and helping us, making their professional career out of helping make sure that democracy happens. So many challenges now happening to the threat and threatened of threat of democracy to democracy, if I can get that sentence out correctly. And what's been fabulous is uh, we found out about this amazing documentary that's going to be playing uh, here on Monday in Madison. We'll get to those details in a moment. But there is a new documentary that's come out called No Time to Fail. And it is about the 2020 election following election workers in the state of Rhode Island um, and, you know, Everything that's happening in Rhode Island is a story about really what was happening across the United States during the 2020 election. And we are so fortunate and happy we have the two co-directors and co-producers joining us today. We'll say hello to them. Sarah, I'm going to everyone's name right. Let's see if I do it. Um, Sarah Archambault, hello. So much for joining us. Thank Thank you you so much. I'm excited to be on Wart. It's great. (laughs) Do you have Wisconsin roots, Sarah? I was a Badger. I went to yeah. graduate school in Madison. Yeah, yeah well, so. welcome. I, lo- I loved it there, and I miss it. Well, it's it's pretty fabulous here, and we're so glad to have you. Thanks for joining us on Wart. Um, and uh, Mar Margo Gunzi. Guernsey. Yes, Guernsey. Margo Guernsey. You Guernsey. got it. There it's a pleasure. Um, Margo, <laughs> thank you so me. much for joining us. It's um, my pleasure. It's great, and. Again, the two of you uh, co-directed, co-produced this documentary. So let's let's sort of start at the top. Tell us a little bit about the documentary. Who wants to take that one? Okay, Margo, kick All us right. off. Um, yeah, so I mean, listening to your intro really brought back a lot of why we made this film. Um, that if you, you might, you, we all have memories of what happened in March, 2020. The film, the, the world started to lock down. And Sarah and I, well, Sarah actually first called me, but we were thinking about what, what's going to happen to elections. What is, how are we going to be able to vote? How are these election officials going to pull off an election in the middle of a pandemic? And, um, you know, workers and the unseen labor and the invisible, invisible work that really holds up all parts of our society has always been something that I care deeply about. And I think in elections in particular, it has been particularly invisible. So there's always been talk of voting rights and access to the vote and who gets to vote and is there fraud? And these questions are always circling. But there's until the 2020 election, no one talked about, well, wait a minute. Who is actually 
keeping the voter rolls and making sure there's a ballot with the right with the right names on the ballot in the right order, printed on the right kind of paper. And then after it goes in the machine, who is keeping those ballots? Like no one thought about all of the labor and all of the work that goes into this, which I think then created um, space for conspiracy theories to come in and fill the gaps which is exactly what has happened. So instead of all of the checks and balances and all of the work that goes into like keeping everything straight, we've had that vacuum filled in other ways. So in any case, the film, fo- back yeah. to your question, the film follows. Um, the uh, We embedded with election officials in Rhode Island during the 2020 election. Um, and the goal was always a show not tell film. So we follow them. Um, we, you know, you don't, nobody tells you how to think. You're with them every day. You're with them beginning with the primary through um, the, essentially the day before January 6th. So through the entire process of auditing and counting the electoral, sending the electoral votes to Washington, D.C. to be counted. Um, so I'll let, there's more to say about it. I'll let Sarah jump in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, we, our first steps into making this film were, was more about, um, you know, our storyteller instincts kind of started buzzing when we realized how many firsts were going to start happening for election officials. In the state of Rhode Island, the majority of elections in Rhode Island were always conducted in person on election day. That's not to say that uh, mail ballots didn't exist or even um, some forms of early voting didn't exist. But the majority of Rhode Islanders had always um, voted in person on Election Day. And with the pandemic, we knew that that was about to change in very big ways. Yeah. Early, early in-person voting happened um, for the first time in a kind of uh, a massive scale up and formal way in town halls across the state um, for the first time. And mail ballots, uh, the volume of mail ballots went up um, uh an incredible amount. I think on average, they would see like 20, uh, 2,500, 4,000. I mean, a very small number of mail ballots on a traditional year. Um, And now we were seeing a scale of hundreds of thousands of mail ballots. And it took a real rethinking of how that process was going to happen. And so our storyteller, you know, um, antenna went up and we're like, this is a lot of firsts. Yeah. And uh, there could be some really interesting opportunities here for all of us to, um, for some drama, for some tension. I would say that um, what we thought the drama was gonna be, which was really about this, these new these new activities and these firsts um, were, were there. But what we didn't foresee, I think, was the um, hateful rhetoric, the role disinformation um, was about to play, and how our film would kind of leave us off at the doorstep of, um, you know, one of the more um, eventful counting of the electoral votes that's ever happened in U.S. history. I mean, that's what I love about this documentary is that there's so many different pieces going on at the same time, talking about, you know, the sort of unprecedented setting of how do we do all these first talking, right? COVID, which works its way into the conversation sometimes, but not as much as you think. It wasn't really about COVID. It was about so much more. And you start the film by reminding us, um, I think, a fact that people maybe say they know, but don't realize they know, which is we have 50 states, right? That part we know, but there are 50 different ways to run elections in America. It is not the U.S. government tells you how to vote. Um, It is state by state. And I, I thought that is such an important thing to remind people because what feels... I remember the conversation here in Wisconsin, and I'm seeing it there in Rhode Island. What feels so odd that you talked about people don't vote by mail, and then you think, okay, well, wait a second. In Oregon and other states, everybody votes by mail. And exactly. W- what role did that play of you choosing Rhode Island? Did you just choose Rhode Island because you felt it was a, a state you could crisscross easily? Um, but to, to compare that to all the other states and sometimes what felt like an anomaly in Rhode Island, an anomaly for everyone in America, wherever they were, was actually the norm right next door. Well, Carousel, it's like a real, you bring up a really good question. And I think I want to start answering that, um, not necessarily with the why Rhode Island, but the uh, but first, 
the one of the reasons our election system uh, is so secure is because it is so unique and different in every place you go. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the and you were talking about it in different in, in the fifty states, which we say in the film. But really, it's even can be different county to county if right. you have a county system. So I, remind me, do you have a county system? In we do. We do remember. in Wisconsin, yeah. and in fact. Um, each of our counties is has their own, they can choose their own machines, their own sort of pieces about that. And I appreciate you, uh, tell me more about the sentence. I didn't expect you to say that, that you think this makes us more secure because there's a level of local control and local over- oversight. Is that why? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is exactly why, how we are protected from foreign actors. So we're not 100% protected. We still have a lot of people working on cybersecurity all the time. But what insulates us from bad actors going in and changing things is it's so controlled so locally. It's just very hard to disrupt. Hmm. I mean, just imagine um, just, uh, you know, in a very, you know, I live in the city of Providence. One town over is the city of Pawtucket. Well, um, and, and I live in a very small district in the city of Providence and right next door, two streets over from my house is a very tiny district within the city of Pawtucket. My district has a, and that my city has a very different ballot than that, that ballot two, two blocks from my house. Another district that's on my right side, I could bike ride to it. Um, is another ballot. There are differences between the ballots within bike ride distance of my home. Now think about this large scale throughout the United States. Every single district, each ballot has nuances and changes to them that make them hard to replicate, make them hard to change or alter. Um, and it also makes things... pe- people on the ground know the details too. They don't go, gee, Absolutely. I don't know what's on my ballot. Some Someone in your small community made those decisions that. they can answer it's, the questions they are they can be held responsible and sort of want to step up and take accountability for it and in fact carousel one of the scenes that i really was um you know there's always those scenes you have to lose um and didn't make it into the film but we actually had a scene for a while in the film of the ballot checking process where you ah. see a room full of people and all of them looking at each ballot and crossing a name off, you know, like, do we have, you know, Biden, Trump, um, you know, other, all the other down ballot um, city council uh, delegates for, uh, you know, the, the local party, um, things like that. So each of those ballots, we have a, a seat. It's a very slow scene. And that's why it had to go. <laughs> but but, but um, it's just to the point that these your local people in your state in your community in your county are actually going over these with a fine tooth comb as best they can because they really care about this accuracy um to speak to your question about why rhode island i want to bring up a couple of different points one i live here i'm from rhode island i i live in providence i was born in this state and um, I, I, I was born in the city of Cranston, which um, is a major location we uh, filmed in uh, No Time to Fail. Um, so one of the things that you need to remember with documentary filmmaking is it, the best films are really based on a relationship of trust. Mm. And we had an access point here in Rhode Island to the Secretary of State's office, and that opened the first door. Then upon opening that door to us and saying, yes, we're interested in doing this film, I have to tell you that um, Secretary Gorbea really felt that the transparency that this film could bring would help build trust among citizens, Yes, uh, not just in the state, but th- throughout the country. So she had some foresight there. But then every single location we went to go film in, we had to have um, some trust building done in each of those spaces. I have to say, I think being a local helps. Margot made an amazing film called Councilwoman um, that was um, made a few years before and um, featured a Providence political life. Okay. Um, so she built a lot of trust in the making of that film. Um, and so we, at each location, we, we had to ask for that access, that trust. But I have to say that like Secretary Gorbea, each of these people really were desperate for people to understand what elections uh, labor is really like. Yeah. <laughs> because they, they wanted were fielding you to hear so their many story. questions. Yeah. 
Um, and then when, as we started, so we knew that we had the access point in Rhode Island that we could go deep. It was very unlikely we would get this access in any state where we were not, where we did not belong or where we did not have some kind of um, record, especially in a pandemic. You remember, this was before um, there was a vaccine. This was when there was still a lot of unknowns. I mean, I think people were still maybe washing their groceries at this point. Right. I, I right. really, mm -hmm. I, you know, um, but so it was it was an uncertain time. And um, there are some filmmakers who went out there and made very risky films under these conditions. Margo and I were highly aware that election officials, you can't move that deadline if you're sick. Those are federal deadlines and state deadlines. You can't. So we needed to be very aware of not make of making sure that there was safety involved for every space we were filming, including the election workers. Um, actually, primarily including the the election workers. So um, so this was a major factor. But when we began vetting the location to other um, organizations, other other. Um, organizations that, that deal with democracy and elections work across the country were like, if we make a film about Rhode Island, will that be applicable to the experiences of election officials in any other state? And the resounding answer was yes. Hmm. Though there are particulars and legal differences from county to county, state to state, um, the experience of election officials is very similar across the country. I would actually be really interested if folks in Wisconsin who um, manage elections come out and see the film and then hear their response. Because over and over again, what we hear is, I'm in Nevada County, California. Wow, that phone, that scene, are you sure that wasn't my office? We mm -hmm. just hear that right? over and over. Right? Right? It's, it's ironic that elections are run so locally, and yet the experience is so universal. Well, and I can tell you, I mean, I, I served on the Dane County Board for 16 years. I, I just left this past year, so I was there during the 2020 election and um, not in the clerk's office, obviously, but an elected official on the county board. And there were absolutely moments there where I'm like, I have seen this. I know this is how they're reacting. Um, and um, yeah, definitely. But I can't wait to hear the Wisconsin responses uh, uh, when they when people get to see the film on Monday. Um, so I want to talk and Margo, maybe you can help us with this one is sort of. I want to break down how this level of fear got involved. Um, and, and there are so many pieces to this documentary, but before we get sort of the threats and the challenges to the workers, just was there a sense of fear that you could tell even from the staff of all this change? And what was sort of people's reactions to that? You know, I think that the ele election officials weren't scared. They were overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. The emotion that was just everywhere was overwhelmed, stressed out. <laughs> you know, it's like there was one election after another. First, they had the primary, the, the pre presidential preference primary, right, where you choose which candidate goes on the ballot for the right. Democrats and which one for the Republicans. That's a huge election to administer in a pandemic. And then they had the regular primary, which is the, you know, choosing the Rhode Island state candidates. Okay. And then the general election. So that's three huge elections in Rhode Island. It was all happened within six months. In wow. most places, it happened, let's say, within nine months, depending on when your presidential preference primary was. And, it you know, to run an election is understaffed. First of all, they're all understaffed. And um, I th why are they understaffed? Well, it was COVID, so nobody was volunteering to go work Correct. in an office, you know, where, where, you, where there were no vaccines. And to be quite frank, um, I don't have a statistic on this, but anecdotal evidence would say that, these, that they're un these jobs in general are underpaid and tend to be understaffed. It's just they're not, it's not a well-funded well, area of our government. And I, I think in general, government offices are forced to run lean in America because of sort of the the cut, cut, cut philosophy of government, right or wrong, not necessarily criticizing that. Um, you know, that's a different conversation, but that everything is really run lean. So then when you get to COVID and um, the impacts that that had on every employee and every office in America, I can, you know, of course that would have a huge impact on staffing and government. Yeah. So imagine exactly. So you're understaffed. The, on top of that, you have to deal with not getting sick or letting your staff get sick. 
and the deadlines can't change, but the number of mail ballot applications is quadrupling or quintupleting or, you know, it's on fire. You have to set up early voting for the first time. So there wasn't time to even think about, oh, these death threats, uh, this language coming in. There's a scene in the film where you see all the really colorful language on the mail ballot application. Yeah. That can be pretty intense. And you don't have time to register, oh, does this mean my family's in danger? All you have time to do is move on to the next voicemail, call the next potential polling location, and, and, and then be overwhelmed by the number of people calling. We really saw firsthand how disinformation affects the work life of these folks. So it's one thing to talk about the disinformation and worry maybe about how it might misinform people to be basing their decisions on something that's not factual. But for, on a day-to-day -day basis, the grind of having to respond and educate folks who are getting information that they really believe in, but just might not, which is not true. <laughs> um, and that happens. Yeah. I mean, people had very misguided um, information about even how they were supposed to vote. And so, you know, I just think that it's just, it was just a feeling of total, totally being overwhelmed. Well, and what's so interesting is it's legit to be overwhelmed and confused by this. But there was this level of, you know, nef nefarious actors. No, I mean, Jen, I, I love the scene of the per of um, the person that had been voting absentee for years. They came in and said, I didn't get my absentee ballot. Well, you got the mail-in ballot. No, nope, that's the mail-in ballot that you created now because of COVID. I don't want the app, the mail-in ballot. I want my absentee ballot. And the, the staff worker, incredibly patiently, you know, award-winning patience of like, no, sir, that's the same thing. Well, it's not the same thing because I voted before. No, sir, that's the same thing. No, sir. And so you could understand the confusion of wait a second, now there's absentee ballots and there's mail-in ballots and I can vote early and I can vote on election day and there's a drop box and where do I put it? And so much new information, not just overwhelming these and the, the, you know, all the workers that are trying to do this, but overwhelming the public. And Absolutely. that seems like a, a, an excellent documentary right then and there. But there was this added element of distrust and fear and insults um the people right. sort of went out of their way yeah talk to us about you that see it in that scene right you'll remember there's also a scene where the election official goes out to empty the drop box just to get the ballot yes and they, they have a they have a whole system they put it in this in rhode island it's a blue box and they lock it with a key and the elections officials from the board of elections come and pick it up and in the film you see the whole system she goes out to empty it and the guy there you know he was polite but he was also very clear that he didn't trust this system. right what do you do right? with my ballot like, i don't trust anyone i'm gonna vote in person she said yes you have the right to do that but just it's grading right so that's like what you're talking that's that's your your public service every day is sort of being told that you're not trusted when you're when the opposite is true right these folks are incredibly nonpartisan to a religion like it is they they go out of their way to be so nonpartisan and they work with so much integrity um it's really a contradiction to have them be the ones that are challenged on a daily basis yeah, I just want to add to that a little bit because I, I, I joke often that that scene where the man can't um, understand the distinction or that, that the fact that absentee ballots and mail ballots are the same thing in the state of Rhode Island. Um, anyone who has worked retail has had this experience. Anybody who has like worked at a coffee shop or was a librarian or had to do cu customer service in any single way, what's, what's different and unique here is exactly... So I think it's really relatable. It's an incredibly relatable yes, moment. Yes. But I think um, I think what's what's very interesting um, that Margot points out it's it's about where the voices that people are trusting, and what that and how that can seed um, uh, just more uh, more chaos in, in a way it, like you know just informational chaos, because in fact the people you should trust most, as Margot said. Are these election officials? And in fact, even many legislator, uh, legislators, people in positions of power in politics, they don't really understand all of the nuances of how elections are managed and administered. Uh, administered. Um, 
So this the need for the education about the process comes at all levels. <laughs> not not just confused voters, but some of the people in in political right. power. Even as well. in the leadership, right? They don't know the nuance and the work that happens every day. We are talking right now about the new documentary film, No Time to Fail. It's going to be screened for free on Monday night. We're going to tell you all the details about that. Uh, Madison's Art and Literature Laboratory is doing a screening on Monday night. And we're talking with the two co-directors and co-producers, Sarah Archambault and Margot Guernsey. Um, so great to have them both here with us today. If you would like to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. You can give us a call at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, you can join us on the air if you have any questions or comments. You can also pass your message on. We have Jade and Dave ready to take your call. And uh, you don't have to speak on the air if you don't want to, but we would love to hear your beautiful voice at area code 608 256 2001 extension 9. I want to talk now about the safety aspect. And, you know, you watch the documentary, and then I, I got the chance to even think about it more as I'm preparing for the show. And it makes me think of all the conversations that happened that we didn't get to see. Were there moments where you felt, um, you both have talked about, you know, the sort of aggression towards the staff members and how the film captures, you know, people's frustrations and reading through the absentee ballot applications. Um, But they're so incredibly calm and, you know, reasonable and reasoned because, right, that's, that's their demeanor to be good at what they do. But how did people feel about safety? Were there moments where people actually were concerned about their safety, their family's safety, uh, anything like that? You know, what's interesting is that, whoa, uh, sorry for the feedback. The, um, the safety concerns have, have continued to escalate since we finished filming yeah in a way that is um they're still escalating in a way that um is not is does not bode well for democracy when we were filming i would we i would say it wasn't as much of a concern as it is now when you talk to election officials now they are very concerned about their safety there have been as you know threats um against their families and their children um I'm going to, my dog is barking. So Sarah, do you want to take over for a second? Yeah. I mean, I guess what I would say is that, that There's, the, we like what, dogs, so it's all good. But go ahead, Sarah. She really wants to join the conversation. <laughs> uh, what, what's, what's been happening um, is that just the threat environment is um, been, has been increasing dramatically. You know, um, the Brennan Center for Justice has been doing some really great studies about this. According to a recent report from them, nearly two in three local election officials believe that false information is making their jobs more dangerous. Mm -hmm. And at least one in three election officials feels unsafe on the job. Now, that's that. uh, And that that last statistic was from uh, Reuters. Reuters has been doing some really good reporting on this. Um, I think that in the state of Rhode Island, we saw threats, you know, at, at a more um, uh, not not at the level where people I think were really fearful for their lives during the 2020 contest. Um, as we have gone forward, what I think is um, happening, as much as this environment of threat and um, this lack of safety, is um, how there is a, a strange marriage right now of hypervigilance to the process and yet an ongoing ignorance about it. Mm-hmm. And that, and the chasm between that ignorance mm-hmm. and the right. vigilance is where a lot of uh, the um, anger, the um, a lot of the frustration is being, is, is, is being born if that, that makes any sense. That's such an excellent way to put it. I, I think that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, as we started this conversation, you were talking about how um, the people that you were working with in Rhode Island w- looked forward to this film, looked forward to you documenting that so that people could, you know, understand more. And yet 
you know, the vigilance of we're watching you, we're paying attention. You you want to welcome that. And yet if they don't know what they're looking for or if it comes disingenuously, we're not watching you to check. We're watching you because we already think you're responsible for something you shouldn't have done. Uh, then it's a whole different level of distrust from the start. Absolutely. Okay, go ahead. It's a really scary place that we're in. And quite frankly, I would be surprised if any election worker anywhere in the country, and I'm talking about red states and blue states and purple states, would ever give this kind of access again. Because at the time that we started filming, there was disinformation and there was a pandemic. But there wasn't a sense that an election official who is a nonpartisan government worker, that their life would be threatened. You start to see the seeds of it in the film. Um, it's sort of the nefarious ways that it creeps in and that and, and I and then and then now what you see is it's on full display. Um, so in some ways, I feel like we documented the creep in. <laughs> and I know um, the timing of this is just so uncanny that we're having this conversation today because the Dane County Board, which I used to be a part of and I, I'm not anymore, um, they have proposed um in the next budget to spend $12 million for election security to build a new space so that the building, the physical ballots, the physical people are safe. Uh, it's, it's really unprecedented the level of need for that. Um, not challenging that it's needed. It's just, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. I don't remember anything like that ever coming before the local government, uh, I wonder what this impact has on people wanting to take the job and people wanting to keep the job. I mean, what what um, No Time to Fail documents is the pure level of exhaustion, the pure level of all hands on deck. Of there's so much to do, right? The the one part where the they're literally setting up the election uh, ballot sort of stations. Because someone has to go and do it. And it's, I don't have enough time to contact the person to do it and explain it to them. It's quicker for me to just go do it because there's not enough hours in the day. And, oh, my God, I can't even remember when she had to play her voicemail and it was 8 p.m. or something. And she had 40 messages, 60 messages, some number where my head just went, what the How do you even handle that? Can you talk to us about the level of overwhelmingness that everyone felt? Yeah, I mean, she she handled it by being there constantly and mm-hmm. as a single as a single mom with two kids missing her daughter, which you focused yeah. on a lot in the show, in the um, documentary. Yes, trying to parent from a distance. I mean, so many of us were struggling with parenting um, during the pandemic, but I'll tell you that election workers, uh, in particular, had obligations both to their children and to voters that are beyond what most people had in the workplace. Um, that level of exhaustion is um, of the work of the threat environment, of the hyper-vigilance. Um, and again, these people work, as you mentioned, Carousel, these people welcome transparency. What's harder is if it's a, if it's a, if it's a, a vigilance that comes, that comes with a, a, an aggression, an unnecessary aggression. Um, but there, there are reports out there right now. Again, again, the Brennan Center is, is um, doing some leading reporting on this. Uh, one in five election officials report a likelihood of leaving the profession before the 2024 um, general mm, election. Right. That's a massive uh, brain drain from this really essential field. I think it's time that we are really recognizing this as a profession. I think it's time that we're really recognizing the dedication of these nonpartisan servants to our government. And that this is an essential workforce that we need to be protecting. I mean, I think it's interesting that you bring up that investment in Dane County uh, that Dane County is making in safety and security. I mean, I absolutely welcome those kinds of investment in elections. It makes me sad that it's coming um, a little that is coming within the current environment where we're looking at kind of structural infrastructure to protect people from harm. But elections have been underfunded in this country across the board, everywhere we look. We need to make sure that we are um, supporting not just the physical infrastructure, but the human, uh, the human beings, the the human assets that uh, make democracy function. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, th- I think it's also worth talking about, though, if Dane County needs $12 million for security, those and those workers need that security, then they need it. But it's sad that that money needs to go to security and not to our schools or not to better salaries for the election officials. I mean, we're in a place where, I mean, $12 million is not a small amount of money to mm-hmm. need to invest in a security complex. And what does that mean for, yeah. for moving forward? Yeah. Well, and I want to talk about... One other aspect of of all all of this, which is for me, looking back on the 2020 election, I in the end see a huge success and a huge statement to the value of the democracy and the democratic system and the voting system that we uh, created. And I know in the movie you talk about election workers are ground zero for democracy and you talk about sort of the um, most secure election in our in our history. So during a pandemic, all of these new rules, all of these new things under threat, under challenge, being legally challenged, the most legally challenged election in the history of the U.S. If there was fraud, if there was error, uh, intentional or accidental, it would have been discovered because nothing has ever um, been more reviewed than the 2020 election and yet the utter success the 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 inability to find these flaws and these failures and these errors can we talk about that of i think there's something to be celebrated here if we could take a moment to celebrate if we can figure out as a country how to do that because this is a tremendous success it was a this global whole, pandemic this, for god's sakes this is the this whole was, thing that uh carousel that we've been talking about for a long time we're like the uh, the most underreported story of 2020 is that we actually did it yes we pulled it off this is a huge success the human beings that uh that put themselves on the line to um, keep our democracy secure. It worked. We did it. And those instances of, um, you know, there there were mistakes. Obviously, there's always because we're human beings, there's small mistakes, mistakes happen. Of course, small mistakes happen. Elections are human endeavors, and there will always be a small mistake here or there. There are checks and balances at every single level to find those mistakes and correct them. And and we've seen that time and again, time and again in our system. So yeah, this is this is a huge success. Where there were mistakes, there was found. Where there were small instances of someone uh, registering a ballot in a wrong in a wrong place or what have you, those instances were discovered and remedied. And I just the the system held. And I think that this is something that we're just not talking about enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the people held it together, and you know, there's a lot of parts of the film where you see um, the some joy, right? There's, I don't know, my some of my favorite scenes, one of them is dancing in the snow. So it starts to snow in October in Rhode Island. Yes. And one of the election officials just runs outside and starts dancing in the snow. Um, you know, there's times when they just like, just they laugh at with each other about sort of the ridiculous nature of all of the work that's happening around them. And that's part of the humanity of running elections. It's, you know, we are real people running them. And that means we also smile and we also, you know, spend time together and, 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 you know, run our democracy together. Well, and there's moments of kindness. I mean, the, the person that was on their way to giving birth and, oh, wait, let me stop. I want to vote first. I'm like, okay, this person is committed to democracy. I'm not so sure. Like, I've given birth twice. I'm not so sure anything could have interrupted that moment for me. But, I mean, I mean, this person was amazing. And the level of kindness of we're, we're expediting them and we're getting them. And then there was a problem with their ballot even or the, or not with the ballot, but then the machine broke and all these moments where and I was like, oh, are people going to get upset? Like you're letting her jump the line. I've been waiting in line for whatever. Nobody was upset. Everyone. So right. The humanity that was part of this is that somehow shined through. Talk to me how important it was to include moments like that in the story. You know, for us, um, I would say the the best thing about the film for me is the people in the film. Mm-hmm. They shine, you know, and they're all different and unique in their own beautiful ways. And um, so I forget what your question is, but I just think that that that, that yeah that the, that that is what 
makes this story what it is. And that's what helps us all understand elections. And it also helps us understand that it's real people. It's your neighbors who are running it. It's folks from our local communities who are pulling this all together. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, Carousel, there there are real moments of kind of kindness, lightness. I think people probably think a film about the 2020 election is all going to be doom and gloom, but this is really a, a film about uh, your local heroes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, um, and quite honestly, as you mentioned, the majority of the people came to this process with kindness and good faith both as voters and as election officials. And I think that's something that we really, really need to remember. I mean, are there moments um, where, there's, where there are confused voters, people showing a little more aggression or um, uh, you know, some discomposure, that, that, that definitely happens. But the overwhelming factor is that kindness and good faith um, are, are, the, are the leading characters in this yeah. story. Yeah, well, and I think that's such a good takeaway from all of this is that yes the you know misinformation maybe has escalated but it certainly was there and it it it's impossible to have avoided it during the election right we were all at home what else was there to do but to sort of pay attention to what's happening in the news and you couldn't avoid the misinformation whether it was either you were hearing the misinformation or if you were on a news site that didn't share the misinformation it was talking about oh my god do you see how much misinformation there is and it just created this level of confusion and of course we were all overwhelmed because living through a pandemic and yet there was the success have you followed up with any of these um workers are they still running the elections for 2022 um yeah what's going on with everyone right now margo do you have an idea yeah, they've actually been traveling with the film a lot. So huh. we've been, we just had dinner a couple nights ago. They've been around. So they're in the middle of early voting. And um, so they're as busy as ever. They definitely talk about, you know, the continued escalation of disinformation. And at the same time, you know, they have good teams and they're, you know, they've, they continue to evolve as we all do in our jobs. So if you've seen the film, you know that early voting at Providence City Hall was a little bit um, crowded. And so now um, the director of elections there has moved it offsite to a different location. So as all of us in our jobs, we evolve and we do better the next time and we're creative. And that is also, you know, what elections officials do. So um, yeah, they're all, they're all, all except the, the city clerk in Central Falls who has moved on to a different position. The rest of them are still in their jobs. And I want to remind everyone, again, we are talking right now about the new documentary on the 2020 election, No Time to Fail, that really focuses on the work by election workers in uh, a huge success, I'm going to say, in making that election work and the, the stress uh, and the challenges they face doing it. We're talking with the coup, the two uh, directors and producers today, uh, Sarah Archambault and uh, Mario Guernsey. And I want to tell everyone, you can get a chance to see this movie for free, this documentary. Again, No Time to Fail. It's playing for free on Monday night, October 24th at um, All. That's the Arts and Literature Laboratory. And they're asking people to pre-register so you can pre-register uh, on the website. Um, but walk-ups are welcome as well. It's at 7 p.m. Doors are opening at 6 and there's going to be a question and answer after the screening, also with Rachel Rodriguez, who we had on the show last week, who is the election management specialist for the Dane County Clerk's Office. Um, we also want to remind everyone, if you want to call and join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, so I wanted to know, this, right, this documentary doesn't cover January 6th, you had enough material already, but um, what was everyone's reaction to January 6th? Did people sort of see it coming? I, as I was watching it, I was trying to sort of figure out, like, can we sense that January 6th and sort of, you know, the ty tyranny trying to overturn the government was about to happen? I didn't really feel hints of that. What were people's reactions, if you know, um, that you that were part of the documentary to what happened on January 6th. 
So it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, I would say that none of us really saw January 6th coming. I think we knew that um, there were going to be heightened tensions. I think we knew that um, there was a movement um, contesting the election um, led by the former president. I think we did not know um, the scale of, of how that movement was moving forward in the way that we're learning now um, that many um, agencies were aware of through, through the hearings. Um, I don't think we knew about that. I don't think our subjects um, who we followed were really aware of that. I also think that um, uh, it would, would have been very hard to predict, but I will yeah. tell you that when, um, when during January 6th, I was reaching out directly to uh, state elections director, Rob Rock, okay. who's featured in the film. And so I started, I started texting him kind of lightly, gently t- testing the waters because we ha- I, I had been talking to him earlier, a, a week or two earlier, where many of his counterparts were getting increased threats across the country. People had go bags packed. Um, people had, um, wow. had were saving um, the hard drives and things like that, that, that they needed to protect for the voting system so that they could leave in a moment's notice and have everything they needed um, pr- to protect themselves, their families, but also to protect the votes. And so Rob and I had been talking about this increasing threat level over the weeks, but again, without predicting January 6th. And on the day of, um, as I saw people starting to storm the Capitol, I reached out to Rob with a couple of texts and I said, Rob, things seem to be getting a little hairy down at the Capitol. Yeah, yikes. <laughs> you might, you might want to, are you watching? Are you watching um, on television? Are you concerned? And he said, I'm not worried, Sarah. There is a process and the process will continue. And he had such faith in the process and that we had everything in place even if, you know, regardless of what was going to happen to those electoral ballots inside the Capitol themselves, there were copies at the Library of Congress, there were copies in, uh, in other places. He, he kept reassuring me that there is a process and that process will continue to move forward. We are all holding that together. And I think the thing that I keep reminding myself of to Carol, uh, Carousel is that um, where there were challenges, where there were um, issues, uh, individual election officials stood firm and held to the process. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who helped com- uh, keep our democracy secure in the 2020 election and um, in, in the aftermath thereof. And so I re- always remember Rob's words and I remember that these individuals stood firm to the process and that gives me some hope. I love that you said, you know, when you were talking about protection they want to protect themselves and their families but they want to protect the vote like that is that is just as much part of their safety plan uh the vote as it is for their own personal safety we have a call john thank you so much for joining a public affair you wanted to talk to us about your experience as an election official uh thank you very much uh, carousel wonderful program and, Thanks for um, listening. Uh, I applaud you uh, for having it on at this time. Very timely, very apropos. And I applaud the uh, the guests for their film. I I would love to see it if I can. I've been an election official here in the city of Madison, Wisconsin, for going on 27 years, most of that as a chief inspector. And I have to tell you that uh, over the years, I've looked at it as, as uh, my contribution to public service. But the, but the emotional um, uh, drag, if you will, or wounds over the last three years have just sapped my um, enthusiasm. And I, 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 I'm glad that you had this program on because maybe it's uh, um, pumped me up to, uh, to say yes to working again on November 8th. But, but um, there are so many safeguards, so many safeguards the process and um, uh, it's a very believable and and trustworthy process but trust once lost is so hard to regain and the one big missing link for me is the public officials that people look at and listen to who are not stepping forward and um, and uh, affirming 
the, not only the process, but the people that work. So I, I'm going to hang up and um, wait to hear your answer. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much, John, for telling us your story. Thank you for all that you've done uh, and are thinking about continuing to do. Uh, Margo or Sarah, any thoughts based on uh, John's comments? Are you are you hearing that from other elected uh, other poll workers? Go ahead, Margo. Yeah, yeah. The um, thank you for sharing your experience. You know, we often say, and this is a little bit cliche, but it's so true that democracy is not a spectator sport. And so it, you know, when folks are unwilling, like you said, to step up and speak the truth because um, because maybe it's not in their political interest to do so. In my mind, they're stepping away from democracy. But when folks like John and other folks who know the process and continue to participate, that's really the only way we will continue to have a democracy where every Mm -hmm. vote counts and every one of us is able to cast our vote. So, um, you know, it is it is we all need to also stand up and support the election officials so that, you know, you have the energy to keep going because we need you. Thank you for your service. Sarah, we'll get you in a second, but I want to put in a quick plug, which is if you go to the website for uh, No Time to Fail, there is actually a tab at the top of your website that says support election workers. Uh, You can click on that tab and learn the different organizations, the different ways that you can support, including volunteering and being an election poll worker yourself. But there's so many other ways. And I really appreciate that your uh, website and the work that you're doing is not just about making sure people know about your um, documentary, but also learning how they can make a difference. And I know, Sarah, you wanted to chime in. Uh, well, just two quick things. First of all, John, thank you so much for your service. Um, but I, was, I want to make sure that John and folks like him can see the film. And so for those of you who are able to come to the Madison screening, we encourage you to do so. There's nothing like seeing it with a live audience. Um, yeah. There's also, we are going to be holding a, a national panel and national free screening online for people who aren't be, who aren't able to um, see the film in their hometowns because of limits of the theatrical distribution. Um, that will be on October 27th. And um, uh, all the information for that screening and that national p- uh, panel are on our website. Okay. At no time to fail film.com. So um, John, uh, people like John who might not be able to come to the screening um, at, at in Madison, Um, please go and register for that online free screening. We'd love for you to see the film. Fantastic. Sarah, Sarah, we're going to have to cut it off there because we are out of time. But I want to say thank you so much. And we are going to push, put everything on our website, tell you how you can access the film here in Madison on Monday and learn more about all the work. But Margot Guernsey and uh, Sarah Archambault, thank you so much for bringing, talking with us today and, uh, bringing this documentary to all of us here in America. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And a huge thanks to Dave for engineering. Thanks, Jade, for producing. Remind everyone you are listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM, Madison.